A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. Homunculus by the Shore by Luke Palmer At the tideline with my father, we are the only uprights, sea skidding white fur up the strand, sea always arriving, coming to me and arriving at me like an eager dog, bringing all its versions, the rotten smell of itself. My father digs with his big toe, The sea goes through that, he says. Waves don't break, they go down. The hill of the sea is inside out. Waves roll up it all the way to the top. They end at my feet. My father swings me high over the waves that go down forever, down to the sea's throat, belching out water. The sea is a generous element. It will hold you up. It will let you in. He plants my feet in the water. The water sucks at them like a hungry tongue. I'm brought to the edge, teetering in two places at once, against the flat world. Wind stings the line of my lips, salt in the corners of my feet. Luke, where did this poem come from? So I'd already written quite a few homunculus poems before this one came along. Um, The homunculus is the central character, I suppose, or voice, Mm -hmm. rather, um, of my first collection. And he's the pre-formationless child of an alchemist, um, 16th century alchemist, as well as the philosopher's stone, had this idea of this homunculus, this child born without sin, um, that Mm -hmm. would also become the key to eternal life and so the homunculus is is the the, the homunculus it's paracelsus's homunculus the uh, infamous um alchemist and firebrand um figure of kind of pre-renaissance thought i suppose and mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of cast Paracelsus as a bit of a, a single father figure, I suppose, uh, with this <laughs> pre-formationist, sinless child. Um, and so the Homunculus by the Shore poem came uh, quite late, I suppose, um, in this sequence as just another another way of looking at this relationship. What are the things that a father and a son would do together? So um, I kind of imagined them by the sea, 
in this instance. Um, not a not a nice kind of seaside day to me. It's a kind of dreary, overcast kind of February half term. You know, mm-hmm. let's go for a walk on the beach kind of um, sea rather than rather than a kind of you know kiss me quick and lots of you know suntan lotion and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah. Um, so that's yeah. That's so it. it, it the poem fits into uh, a kind of a sequence, I suppose, of, of homunculus poems exploring this father-son relationship and the son looking at the father um, and the father looking back at the son as this key to eternal life and living forever. Okay. So the just so we're clear, the homunculus has been created by the alchemist brought into Yeah. Paracelsus's recipe um, was that uh, you take a human sperm and you grow it. Uh, for him, it was within a horse. You put it in a horse's womb. Uh, the preformationalists thought that the this human sperm, the male sperm, is what contained all of the all of the ingredients, I suppose, for a child. Um, and for them, uh, a woman was just where it grew. Uh, that's just where you put it to 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 bring it on, I suppose, like a seed. And so for Paracelsus, this homunculus, he's, he's, his mother's a horse. He's grown inside a horse um, earlier on in the collection. Um, and yeah, so he's he's born, therefore, you know, without the need for sex or sin or anything like that. So he's kind of immaculately conceived this this child. Gosh, so there's quite a lot of resonances for this. On the one hand, you've got all the theological father son immaculate conception stuff and it was artificial intelligence anywhere in your at the back of your mind as you were writing this i've i've played with ai before just uh, i i really enjoy the kind of the crazy logic of ai poems um i think Mm. so that that idea of something coming out of nothing is definitely yeah ai is in the same ballpark i think um and yeah that that kind of creating something almost so unexperienced and naive as to be i mean i find the ai poems really funny the 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 strange connections that ai comes up with uh mm-hmm. completely when you're just looking at words almost completely divorced from semantics is yeah is is a really interesting field to to play around with so there's there's definitely that element is plugged in i suppose the the idea of a yeah a child who's um supposed to be yeah bringer of eternal life but also is completely divorced from life itself really yeah and yet it's weirdly relatable i mean (laughs) i think those of us who live near the sea can relate to standing there with a parent looking out at the sea i'll never forget taking our kids to the sea for the first time when they were really small (laughs) you know the look on their face when what the hell is that Indeed. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I do want it to feel very, very human, I think. And very, again, like I said, not it's, it's not a special day out. It's a it's a dreary walk by the sea. The One of the main inspirations, I think, when I kind of came up with the idea was the, um, the, the Caspar David Friedrich picture, The Monk by the Sea, um, mm-hmm. The Monk by the Shore. Uh, yeah, which, which to me is a, a, a beautiful image of you know, bleak seascape and the image has almost no trunkage in it. There's no verticals in it at all, apart from this tiny little monk who's standing right on the foreshore against this huge, mostly sky, actually. it's There's not a lot of sea in the picture, apart from some angry-looking kind of white waves and the, and the kind of horribly cold-looking North Sea. Um, but that bleakness, that isolation, I think there's something that runs through 
the homunculus's journey in the book and also in Paracelsus's story as well from what I've read about him of just this feeling outcast really this this being a a figure that's so kind of at the at the, at the cutting edge of what he's doing the misunderstandings and the his constant need I guess or he's constantly being asked to explain himself seemed to me to kind of push him way outside of of society i suppose and I, and i guess this image of a father and a son standing by the ocean is them they're at the brink of something i think they're at the edge um and, and that sense of you know uh, quotidian everydayness is is kind of blended with a for me at least a, a real sense of them being out on their own like these are the only two creatures left in the world almost and that painting was was a really useful kind of visual touchstone i guess to to try and to try and capture that yeah i'll put a link to the painting in the show notes and i mean you you've got that wonderful half line we are the only uprights mm. which says so much it's so evocative and um so paracelsus for us he's you know he's kind of old-fashioned but at the time what he was doing was kind of cutting edge and controversial wasn't it it was. And in particular, one of the things I really liked about going back through his old writings and, and interpretations of his writings is his idea of equivalence, really, and his idea of how the world is structured um, and how people are structured. I mean, this is kind of before Renaissance. No one was really peeling people um, and looking at how we work. So one of the things I really wanted to pick up on was the the alchemist's idea of inversion, um, the idea that something on the outside is reflected on its inside. And so here the sea takes that on, the idea that the sea is is flipped in some way and that waves, what happens if waves don't come up through the sea? What happens if they're on the way down? What happens if um, the sea is the same above as it is below? Um, mm. And perhaps those isolated figures standing on the foreshore are, are, are looking for that mirror. They're looking for that, that mirror image, something that can reflect themselves back and something that, that will hold them. That line about um, the sea being something that will hold you up. Um, the kind of water is, you know, the, the, your buoyancy in water, but also you're kind of entering it at the same time as being held by it. There's that, you know, um, there's two things happening at once there, I suppose. So, yeah, so that's kind of going through the poem as well, as well as the, the other poems, the homunculus poems in the book. So, it, folks, when you see the, the text, the bits where the father is speaking are in italics, are those direct quotes from Paracelsus or was it you channeling him? They're not, no, they're me channeling. Um, there are there are a fair few epigraphs, uh, not for this poem, but there are a fair few homunculus poems that do come with epigraphs of, of homunculus's words. Um, sorry, there are a fair few poems that do come with epigraphs of Paracelsus's words, but the, uh, the, 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 the italicized bits are, uh, they're me. But they do sound very authentic. And I think that's the point where you know, at a first reading, okay, I, I registered the word homunculus, but, you know, at the timeline with my father, I'm suddenly there with my father or, you know, just imagining a normal father-child relationship. But it's when he starts coming out with these theories about the waves going down and the, the hill of the sea being inside out, I'm starting to think, okay, this is a little bit different to the usual father-son situation. Yeah, I think there's, with my own children, I think there's definitely you 
take on this, I don't know, this mantle, uh, for want of a better word, of, you know, I am the person through whom uh, my children will learn about the world. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I guess what if your version of the world is so at odds with everyone else's or with the world itself that, you know, that what if, you know, what if your your version of the world is so at odds that you're you're struggling to explain it at every step of the way, I suppose, that you've got this this child in front of you who is pure, perfectly good and wonderful um, as they all are. And then you're trying to bring them this complexity, I suppose, this, this whole range of, um, of the, you know, the, the metaphysics of the world and how the world is put together and plugged in. Um, I think that was, yeah, that's, that's something I, as a father, definitely, definitely deal with quite a lot. Um, so yeah. I think yeah the yeah Paracelsus here or the alchemist the father needed to be doing it too. Yeah, I think my experience is you know the the window of oracle like authority <laughs> doesn't <laughs> last that long. <laughs> it doesn't. But anyway, yeah. um, but we, you know within the poem, you know the the homunculus is this innocent narrator. So you know you get the sense that that he she or it is swallowing this whole. But this is the you know this is what father says, and this is the way the world works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that later on, perhaps in the book, there, there's a few poems where the homunculus starts to sit a little bit at odds with the father, um, and there's a there's a little bit of side eye, shall we say, later on. Uh, but at this point, yeah, definitely, the homunculus is yeah is 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 going for it, kind of hook, line, and sinker, and and is being shown this wonderful, miraculous world um, by their you know firebrand half mad dad and so you know the I, I don't know if the i haven't seen the whole collection yet so i don't know if there's a moment where the homunculus comes to life for the father but at what point did the homunculus come to life for you as a poet what you know when you realize because you've got this whole sequence of poems on, mm. about this character or, or persona um so homunculus means it doesn't mean much apart from little man i suppose and and the idea of a little man has been used in science uh, you know for, for ages i mean nowadays if you google homunculus you get uh, an image of a of a little man or a little human whose parts are bigger or smaller depending on their number of nerve endings in them basically so homunculus being used as a as a model for the nervous system but uh, the one that i first really fell in love with was the idea um that um of a homunculus that sits in your head uh, and I think mm-hmm. it was one of Descartes' ideas, uh, the kind oh, yeah. of philosopher um, of, of kind of mind, I suppose, of, of uh, the idea of that we have a small version of ourselves in our head that watches what we are doing. Um, and to him, that was all about uh, what consciousness is, I suppose. And he called it the Cartesian theatre, this place in the head where a small mm-hmm. version of yourself sits observing what you're doing and and kind of casting judgment and kind of pulling the strings, yeah. I suppose. I don't know, a little bit like, I don't know, like a creature in a Dalek, maybe. But um, that that idea kind of got me started, I think, with the homunculus idea. And I, and I kind of dialed it back to the you know, the earliest version I could find and, and, and just stopped at the, the alchemists cause they were bonkers. Um, and, and it just sounded so much, there's so much theater there, so much fun to be had there, so much play to be had with the mm. idea of a, of a small, 
person that you're creating out of nothing almost um and also that that weird desire again one of the reasons i think we we go to history so much is as a reflection for what we're doing at the moment that strange desire to to create something of yourself completely independently of anybody else that idea that we self-repeat and the ideal perfect child is one that is just a repetition of you um, rather than it being anything kind of communal or a, a linking or a coming together. Um, and that idea kind of, uh, I think, I, I, yeah, I stuck, I stuck on that idea for a while, um, thinking, yeah, what would that look like um, if, you know, if, if having children was just infinite repeat rather than variety? It was just a case of copying yourself, essentially. And maybe that also relates to the artistic impulse to make something... Yeah, I, I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, the idea of, yeah, living beyond yourself. Um, definitely that, that sense of, yeah, leaving something behind maybe that, you know, do you do it with children? Do you do it with art? Finding yeah. a version of yourself that you can, yeah, pass on. And, you know, for me, one of the drawbacks of writing, you know, short lyric poems of the kind that predominate these days is mm. you get one, you get the idea and then you've done it and then you've got to wait you know, it's like waiting for a bus. You've got to wait for another one to come along. So what was it like having the homunculus in your poetic life, so to speak, so that maybe you knew there would be another, you know, he, he, he or she would be hanging around and you could, could play with it again and, and have another homunculus poem shortly? It was lovely, really. Um, I really enjoyed it. Just that constant, oh, I wonder what the homunculus would think of this. Um, I think <laughs> I think one of the things you hear as a poet more often than not is is kind of people telling you, oh, there's or oh, you could get a poem out of that, or oh, that could be yeah. a poem. That kind of, you know, yeah. the, the expectation that, you know, you're constantly on, you're always looking like a magpie for that next thing mm -hmm. to write about. But having another angle to come at it from, um, you know, that idea of telling it slant. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I I, I there are very, very, very good poems that kind of pick up on, uh, you know, a something that happened and use that as a jumping off point for a wider universal truth um, in that lyric tradition. But I think I wanted to try to do or look at things in a, in a slight, I don't know, maybe I was fed up with me and, and my way of looking at things and was, and was looking for a way of shocking myself into a different perspective. And so this homunculus kind of came on as a bit of a gift, really. Um, as this this creature, this thing um, that would have a very different perspective, or at least a, a yeah, a different perspective, a different take on on what was happening. Um, and let's think about the form of the poem. I mean, mm. firstly, how typical is this form of of the rest of the collection? Um, the homunculus poems all have this. Uh, this central margin, I suppose, this this gap that runs down the middle. Um, so it's quite typical of the other homunculus poems in terms of how it looks on the page. Um, it's probably the poem on the page is, is in four kind of equal stanzas, four quatrains, but with this split down the middle. Um, and I think it's probably more formal in that regard than some of the others. Um, mm -hmm. but the, the run on lines, the, like I said, that central, um, kind of marginated, um, sculptural split, I suppose, that, that runs down the middle. There, there's a fair few poems that do that. Um, and I think I, I, I really enjoyed playing around with that. Um, about five, six years ago, I started toying with 
um, a lack of or, or very reduced punctuation um, in poetry. And this poem kind of ties in with that and, and I guess uses breath and space rather than, uh, rather than that. I think that kind of probably came from many, 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 many poets do it. But the one that really hit for me, I suppose, with Andrew, Andrew McMillan's first collection, um, mm-hmm. his physical collection that, that used these, um, these breath spaces um, yeah. to kind of let some light and let some air into the poem. Because um, I do tend to write quite densely in that the images do tend to pile up and I really like layering sound on sound as well. There's a lot of repetition in the poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of repeated phrases and sounds as well, particularly vowel sounds. And I think a way of really opening the poem up for me is is just giving it that physical space on the page, um, splitting those lines um, and, and and kind of yeah, letting letting a bit more air and breath into it on the page as well. Yeah, and we could really hear, you know, the the gap in the middle of the line. We could hear that as you read it. I mean, for me, obviously, with this topic, it made me think of the sea and the waves and the mm. the details piling up, the way the the waves and the the pebbles pile up on the shore. Yeah, I think within each poem, the that central, you know, marginated blank space seems to do something else within each each time I've used it. And here, definitely that. That wave that one runs through the poem was a a real. I, I I like it when you know things that you're choosing, you know, methods that you choose that aid one element of your craft of your poetry also have a knock on impact on others as well. And and whilst yeah, the, the that that breath that break was brought in as a sound feature originally, definitely on the page visually, um, it's definitely doing that kind of wave like seascape job this time, I suppose. And you've got this wonderfully understated but really quite unsettling ending. He plants my feet in the water. The water sucks at them like a hungry tongue. I'm brought to the edge, teetering in two places at once, against the flat world. Wind stings the line of my lips, salt in the corners of my feet. Um, so we've got that... <laughs> You know, father's planting us carefully there, but the water, you know, the the sea is sucking at it like a tongue. Mm. And he's brought to the edge. You talked about Paracelsus being at the edge, but, you know, every child is brought to the edge, really, at some point. Mm. And that flat world is quite... It's quite a resonant phrase, isn't it, in the context of the cosmology of the time? Yeah, I think I was... I think I was probably pulled back towards that painting again. Um, towards the monk by the shore, the monk by the sea. And mm-hmm. just that idea of if we are on this flat plane, this two-dimensional plane, what, you know, where will things catch, I suppose? The idea of what would be the interstices, the, 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 you know, those, those angles in which things might grab, in which things might get caught. Um, and certainly that last line, um, you know, what, where are the if we are on this flat landscape, because um, that's, the, I think, how I imagine them, the, 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 the homunculus and, and his father standing against this very kind of ostensibly two-dimensional boardscape, I guess. Right, you right. Know, where, right. where do things catch? Where's the, where, where can things get in? And it's just those small huh. corners, I guess, you know, the, the line of a lip, the corner of a foot. Um, I think that's where I was probably going with that 
<laughs> with that last bit, trying to, yeah, to anchor it in that image again. Um, but yeah, and there is, I think, that a lot of the homunculus poems end with a not quite a threatening tone, perhaps, but definitely a sense of, I don't know, maybe it's is what the romantics were talking about with the sublime, this idea yeah, of something yeah. huge and terrifying and, um, you know, awesome in the in the sense that, you know, it, it, it mutes you, it leaves you, you know, it leaves you cold, it leaves you you know, wondering about your tiny little place in a gigantic world. And I saw, I think that's definitely in there at the end of this one. Um, and obviously, you know, Casper um, David Friedrich is a, is something of a romantic painter. Definitely. His, yeah. um, his more famous pieces perhaps are the, um, are those that definitely tie into that romantic tradition of, of the sublime and, and the hugeness yeah. of nature. Absolutely. I once saw William Golding interviewed, I think it was on the South Bank show. Mm. And they had Golding sat on a rock at the edge of the sea and Melvin Bragg was asking him questions. And at one point, Golding said, you know what, it's actually really hard to talk <laughs> because I'm just looking at the sea and, and just everything just feels just tot- utterly insignificant, anything that I would say, mm. just mm. next to the sea. And it, I love the way you, you evoke that feeling in this poem, you know, and mm. it's, it's the classic walk by the shore on a winter's day. And you kind of, it's not comforting, is it? It's bracing. It's not, no, it's no, it, it is bracing. And I think that's probably why we do it so often, like kind of the, particularly this time of year, right? When it's, when it's stormy and it's moody and it's, and it's big. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And I think against that, yeah, maybe any attempt to explain, you know, why, why not, why not have a sea, that is upside down and waves are coming up from a, a place in the middle of the ocean that's being belched out. I mean, it, it makes no difference, does it, to to the enormity of what's in front of you, whether it's, you know, wind fetch across a vast amount of sea or whether mm. it is some, you know, God pushing water up from the very base of the earth. Um, it makes no difference to what's going on at the surface. And that's what we're encountering is, is surface. Um, and, yeah, and behind that could be anything, which is you know, equally incredible and terrifying, I suppose. Well, thank you, Luke. Let's hear the poem again and contemplate that surface. Sure. And and feel small again. Homunculus by the Shore by Luke Palmer At the tideline with my father We are the only uprights Sea skidding white fur up the strand Sea always arriving Coming to me and arriving at me Like an eager dog Bringing all its versions The rotten smell of itself My father digs with his big toe The sea goes through that, he says. Waves don't break, they go down. The hill of the sea is inside out. Waves roll up it all the way to the top. They end at my feet. 
My father swings me high over the waves that go down forever, down to the sea's throat, belching out water. The sea is a generous element. It will hold you up. It will let you in. He plants my feet in the water. The water sucks at them like a hungry tongue. I'm brought to the edge, teetering in two places at once against the flat world. Wind stings the line of my lips, salt in the corners of my feet. Homunculus by the Shore by Luke Palmer is from his collection Homunculus, published by Broken Sleep Books. Homunculus is his first full collection, released in early 2024, following two earlier pamphlets. His poems, described as stark and beautiful and meticulously woven, have been widely published and anthologised. His work touches on many themes, most often parenting and children. He won the 2022 Winchester Poetry Prize for Desire Slash Fathers and has taught on poetry and fatherhood for the poetry school. Luke is also a critically acclaimed author of novels for young people and has been long listed for the Carnegie Medal. He lives in Wiltshire with his young family. A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of Every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links as well as a full episode archive at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and visual identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.